y'all. Welcome to Shelf Life, a podcast where I, Nicole Barbosa, chat with some of the coolest people in publishing about the wonderful world of books. In each episode, my guest and I will chat all about their book, Real or Imaginary, and then place it on a shelf alongside other authors and books that inspire them. Great literature frozen in time. It's definitely one for all the bibliophiles. In today's episode, I chat with the incredibly talented and wonderful Charmaine Lovegrove, who is the publisher of Dialogue Books, an imprint of Little Brown that celebrates and publishes stories for, about, and by underrepresented voices, including BAME, LGBTQI+, disabled, and working class writers. Founded by Charmaine in 2017, Dialogue has published some of the most beautiful stories of the last two years, including The Leavers by Lisa Coe and The Good Immigrant USA by Nikesh Shukla and Shimon Suleiman. These books and the authors who wrote them are not only being celebrated by Charmaine and her team, but also by thousands of readers around the world. In fact, Remembered was longlisted for the 2019 Women's Prize for Fiction. Charmaine is such a generous spirit and one of my favorite people, and if you adore reading and beautiful storytelling as much as we both do, then you'll love this episode. So I am beyond excited to be actually at Little Brown with the fabulous Charmaine Lovegrove. How are you? Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thank you for coming here. I actually just want to look around and take all this in for a second because this is where the magic happens. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really exciting to sort of be around the entire process of um, how you make a book and from being a book lover from, you know, from childhood then to actually see that whole process from beginning to end to you know how they get into the bookshop there is a magic to it and especially when you're watching the books that you have just loved so deeply and read um, from the submission process um, and seeing them you know when you get your books on your table when they've actually been printed and you kind of can't believe 18 months of work that goes into to most books Um, and yeah it's just an absolute dream to be able to do this and here at Little Brown and at Tashette. Of course everyone who loves and respects you as much as I do will know that you are uh, the head of Dialogue Books which has it's been almost two years hasn't it It was in July 2017 and you know I just want to say congratulations on all the much deserved success it's been an absolute whirlwind I'm sure and I would just love to know how you're feeling about it all. Oh thank you so much I mean it's been you know the thing is is that you I'm very entrepreneurial and so you almost kind of can't plan for success. You just sort of have to know what your parameters are in terms of what good looks like and what success looks like or what, you know, what it is that you want to achieve. And, but there's so many things that have happened that have been beyond anything that I could have imagined. You know, um, having my first book of the year remembered being up for the Women's Prize, for example, that's just an absolute dream that lots of people wait their whole career to to happen. And sometimes it doesn't. And so, you know, for the list to be taking on the life of its own amongst the readers and the authors and the community of my authors is just phenomenal. You know, it's not just something that's in my head. It's something that is making change within the industry and making a massive difference to the lives of my authors. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll get on to Remembered in a second because 
It's only March, but I'm pretty sure that that book is my favorite of the year. So oh, we'll, wow. we'll get on to how much I love it in a minute. <laughs> and I also want to say that the list this year, the long list, what great company to be in as well. There are some fantastic titles on that. Yeah, it's absolutely phenomenal. And, you know, for a new list as dialogue that isn't yet two years old yeah. to be in a situation where you're amongst some of your favorite writers, yeah. like Diana Evans, for example, and An American Marriage and Freshwater you know all these fantastic books that I've been reading over the last two years and really really enjoying and for one of my books to have a home amongst them is just such a deep honour and really shows that dialogue is more than just being a diverse or inclusive imprint it's you know it's standing on its own and the books are out there on their own merit and I definitely feel that a lot of that credit goes not only to the authors who are on the list themselves but to the team behind the imprint as well so congratulations to you and the team and that I think is a nice segue into looking at the kind of guts of what dialogue books really is and what it's about and I'm just going to read what's on the Little Brown website because I It is a very simple mission statement, but it is very powerful as well, which is dialogue book shines a spotlight on stories for, about, and by readers from the LGBTQI plus disability, working class, and BAME communities. I mean, that is such a strong mission statement. And yet, as I said, very simple, and it Mm. really gets to the point. And I just would love for you to talk around your passion for why these stories are so special and why they deserve to be celebrated and told. So I suppose there's two things, you know, I'm from London, I am a black British woman of Jamaican heritage who's grown up in London and I grew up reading books from a diverse range of people. I I loved the books of um, Ian McEwan almost as much as I love the books of Toni Morrison and um, Dr Maya Angelou and I think it's really important to, you know, remember that I grew up in an inclusive society and so what we've become in terms of how polarised our society has become but also how polarised the publishing industry or how monocultural really it's not even polarised because there isn't a sort of mass opposition elsewhere um, that's doing things differently other than the independents who are a lot of the independent publishers that are amazing you know this monoculture that exists within the publishing industry that you know people publishing for people like themselves is especially in central London, is just so shocking to me. But I'm a very positive person by nature and I'm a great optimist and I revel in change and I revel in in doing things, not sort of differently for the sake of doing things differently, but just being a creative thinker. And I see my role as a publisher as being more as a kind of creative project manager. Like an enabler. Exactly. Like my job is to enhance, enable um, those writers to reach their audiences. And so because 99.9% of the publishing industry focuses on voices that are white and middle class, then I don't need to. And it's just that simple. And my dream and my wish is that my child, my child's peers my nieces and nephews their peers so that basically means everyone in society all the young people in society have also that opportunity to read as diversely as I did um, when I was younger but what I saw was there was a massive massive gap and so I'm just here to 
do my bit to try and close that gap and so it's really important to me that I use sort of my privilege and it's a huge privilege to be a black woman I use my privilege to amplify voices that I think are, are, are missing that we know are missing and what's really clear you know to be truly intersectional then I I couldn't just do black writers I couldn't just work with black writers so for me it's really important that it's black Asian minority ethnic disability working class LGBTQI plus like people who have been marginalized from our storytelling and also from our society then in my intersectional approach they're all along for it all yeah and I think as a champion of those unique voices of those stories people and and authors mainly couldn't have found you know a a better champion because and and I think what's also great as well is in just a short period of time as you said in less than two years there's been so much rallying and so much support for this gap that you're trying to close and of course no one can do these things alone it definitely takes a community it definitely takes support from from everyone and I think what's so great is as much as social media has its its cons the pluses of social media are that we're able to also see the visibility of these voices and they're able also to have other platforms that they can speak out about their stories exactly like we're not living in a silo and there are incredible champion activists um like Nikesh Shukla for example um and The Good Immigrant which I'm really proud to publish but you know that story started long before I was a publisher and what they've done in the last few years with Julia Kingsford and now with Shaman with this new collection and her, her essay for the previous collection you know what what they've done in terms of being able to magnify these voices and so we've heard now from people more like Bim Aduende or Rene Edo Lodge is probably the most famous now where that starting point you know that seed of a very simple idea and by keeping things really simple then essentially it gives you more space for your writers and so by giving people a, a bit of a platform then they will create their own and actually you know it's kind of that bringing each other up and it hugely empowers me as well you know I am kind of altruistic in that sense of I love how I feel empowered by these writers and I want to share that feeling and part of you know my love for being having been a bookseller and the reason I wanted to be a bookseller was because when I was younger I loved that feeling of being given a book or buying a book or going to the library and so that's why I wanted to be a bookseller and now as a publisher I'm like I want everyone to feel happy when I read those stories and I just said that my positivity is that I kind of it's just such a gift and I don't want to have it I don't want to hoard it yeah no absolutely (laughs) it's definitely one to share it's about giving people a platform that need to be heard yeah and the fact is is that I couldn't do it without them like my writers come first it's just such an honor you know I talk about this a lot and I mean it you know it's such an honor to be their publisher and it's such an honor to you know to also be a reader and to read books that I don't publish but also be like this is absolutely vital and fantastic yeah and it doesn't always have to be political you know I really love great storytelling but we are in political times and we are political you know Aristotle we are political animals it's really important that we remember that that's my background academically is thinking about us and politics anthropologically and politically and so that sort of ties in and there's no problem with the publishing industry there's absolutely no problem with people having 
differing opinions and different ideas we have just been too monocultural and so again I go back to this idea like I'm not meaning to be different it's just that I am just different by by nature and we are all individuals but some of us are more individual than others yeah but I mean thank goodness that it's not just one conversation being celebrated and shared because how boring would that be and going back to your example of being in political times and things being relevant then and now there's a fantastic book by Nafisa Thompson Spires who wrote Heads of the Colored People and I absolutely loved it she's amazing yeah she's incredible her short stories come from Dr. McEwen Smith and that was obviously back in the 1800s publishing in Frederick Douglass's magazines and newspapers and one of the things she said to me was is that she noticed that those themes were still relevant today as they were 165 years ago and that's certainly one of the things that I see with my books is that they're themes that reverberate across generation and that's really important to me because one I really want to inspire lots of different types of readers to read our books not just those from those sort of protected characteristics of being black or gay or queer or however you identify yeah it's really about sort of addressing different forms of kind of culture and society but that can resonate with just so many different types of people and I think the fact that a lot of these ideas again going back to the fact that you know I studied politics and anthropology and so my understanding of the world is that actually we sort of repeat things Mm. we're not as original as we like to think of ourselves we've never had a Brexit before for example or it's you know it's not been called Brexit we have had massive seismic shifts in Britain's relationship with Europe and like the 30 years war and there's a reason that this guy who is our sort of new hero Thomas Erskine May there's a reason that he wrote that clause in this massive one page document Mm. about parliament because they've already tried to bring back laws or they've tried to bring back votes to an issue that they've not actually changed so there's a reason that was happening in like 1600 1700 1800 and the fact that it's happening again now and that they can literally go all the way back there hundreds of years back and and link it back it's like we are massively interlinked and I'm really fascinated by that and I think that's one of the things that brings a lot of my stories together definitely and as you really highlighted there it makes it accessible to everyone which is fantastic and that brings us on to a book that you published The Leavers by Lisa Ko it was your first book Mm. which I mean what a hell of a first book and it was this absolutely incredible story one of my favorite books even to date about really what I found to be the unbreakable bond between a mother and a son and I would really love to know how the conversation came about to publish this story as your first book. So what's really interesting about The Leavers was the Frankfurt Book Fair in October 2017. So I'd only been a publisher for six months, maybe. And it was my first book fair as a publisher. It was my sort of eighth book fair in my publishing career. And I went to this um, a meeting at Algonquin. And I remember it was one of those moments where you're really tired. It's the end of the day, you know, book fair it's like meeting after meeting talking to people in half an hour slots from like 9 30 till 6 30 and then going out for dinner and then going out drinking until one o'clock in the morning like it's terrible it's really (laughs) hard work and so I was like oh this meeting okay I don't know them but I I've never met them before but I really I'm interested in what they're doing so I'm really interested in independent publishers and so I went and I just met 
um, the publishers there and I just kind of fell in love with them and what they were doing and I was like I know so many of your books that you have published an incredible array of Mm. books and I was looking on the shelf and I saw the cover of the levers and I was like oh I've never seen that one before what's that and then they told me about it and they described the story of this mother and son relationship that's just so violently suddenly broken apart and you know the story of what happens to a child who is then adopted into a family who are very well-meaning white liberals who adopt a Chinese um, American child but do not want to acknowledge his Asian-ness and his his heritage, his culture, his language, and what happens to him. I, you know, as someone who is estranged from their parents, it's you know I I kind of understand that question of who are you when you don't know where you're from. You know, I can understand how that can happen to yeah. people, and I've been very lucky to know where I'm from. But I've met lots of people who haven't, and they do spiral. And I just thought this is so interesting, and so. I read it on the plane on the way home and really sort of book fair in book fair mode. Most people were sleeping on my plane. I was reading it on the plane rather than drinking or talking or sleeping. And I just was like, this is utterly incredible. Took it to acquisitions, acquired it. And then it wasn't the first book I bought. So it was really, it was funny how it was suddenly like the first book that I was going to publish. And mm-hmm. then so I decided to publish it on my birthday. Ah, <laughs> so I published it on my birthday because I figured you only get one chance to publish a book on your birthday. Yeah. It, like you only get one chance to publish your first book on your birthday. Yeah, absolutely. So I did. Um, and I remember being in Berlin for that birthday and visiting my friends there. And I had a dinner with like 45 people. And I was like, it's actually the birthday of this book. <laughs> and everyone was clapping. And it was like, you know, so momentous to yeah. be around the corner from my original bookshop in Berlin, which oh was gosh. called Dialogue Books. Yeah. So I was one street away from where the bookshop was and to be with all of these people who had been customers and friends and you know had been to all of my events and have massively supported me as a chills (laughs) I know I know I mean like massively supported me as a bookseller and then you know really gave me a great send-off when I went back to London and I was like I don't know what I'm going to be doing I don't have this big plan but I just know I need to be home and I know that I can create something above what I've done here and all these people were just like oh my god you've got like I'm gonna cry all these people were just like you've got the book with the colophon of like your of dialogue books yeah and it's your birthday and you're back in Berlin and they were just like that's amazing and I was like and so is this book yeah and so they all bought the book and they all read the book and you know I feel so attached to this book Mm. on so many levels on so many levels it's inspired me in lots and lots of different ways and I'm just hugely proud to be its publisher but there was something really special about doing it in that way and I really like to kind of create with all my books they really like to create these sort of moments you know so it's not just that we published it and that was published first in paperback because of the way that it was published it's yeah. complicated why yeah but it wasn't that we just published it straight into paperback it's like we published it on my birthday in the setting and you know I just it kind of gave it this energy and it's selling really well I'm just delighted with it and and also then something else happened with that book where it became 
a marker for me of sort of how prescient writers can be because suddenly you have Mexico and you have the children being separated from their parents for no reason other than hatred and racism in America and that happens just after the book is published and you're like these writers just somehow know and for her to have written this whole story about that separation and what it means to be torn apart for a family to be torn apart whilst we're watching it on the news I mean that's my level of empathy from reading that book is like so much greater in seeing what happened in the news because it's like I've understood what happens to those children and that's why reading is really important and that's why it creates this like incredible sense of empathy and that's why you can tell that Donald Trump is you know the first president to ever destroy the library and the White House and I'm like because that's why it correlates to why these are the decisions that you make that's why when Nicola Sturgeon is sort of one of the greatest readers in terms of politician and her love for books is so palpable it also shows she's one of the most compassionate whereas Theresa May I don't really think that she's read and it shows you can be super intelligent yeah and you can get really far in life but when you read it adds this like incredible depth of 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 empathy yeah. and incredible depth of of just of, of being open to the world in myriad ways yeah and essentially <laughs> keeping that dialogue pun intended going yeah. and you don't have to necessarily have experienced that yourself but the, as you said the level of empathy that you get when you read stories like that is so important because especially in the times that we're in, as you've just touched on, to understand someone's point of view and also to read a story, as you said, that's so powerful and leaves you... Like, I actually remember where I was when I finished this book and when I read this book. I was in Paris, actually, on holiday, and I remember sitting there and finishing it, and I had tears streaming down my face that actually had been happening the whole time I was reading because, as you said, it's just such a powerful story. And one of the things that... I loved about this book was that we got to hear from Polly, who is the mother, and also from Deeming, who is the son, who later becomes Daniel. And I really think that it allows the readers to enjoy those two voices and those two perspectives. And I do really feel like in the last couple of years, or even longer than that, I have seen a resurgence of stories being told from different perspectives. So yeah, it's not just one that story. That is just what's so incredible, is that... We're talking about empathy, we're talking about these layers, but actually one of the things that happens, which I think is huge, is the fact that just as you might want to start judging Polly, the mother, and her disappearance, then you hear from her, you hear what happened to her, and then you're just like... But much later in the book, though. Exactly. But but the thing is, is that so the book sort of forces you to confront your own prejudice. uh, So whilst you're sort of saluting yourself for being a um, compassionate person, for your feeling for Deming, who then becomes Daniel, whilst you're sort of saluting yourself and sort of saying, you know, actually questioning the role of the white liberal academic family yeah. and their adoption of him yeah. whilst you're questioning all of that and you're saying where was his mother mm. and then she tells you yeah, and exactly. then you have to kind of recalibrate your own prejudices and what you think is right and wrong and you know that's where it's really powerful and mm. I, I love those multi character yeah. narratives yeah. I think it's so strong I could publish those all day long I think what's really interesting what 
Lisa Co. did is that we could have heard from Polly earlier on in the book so that maybe it kind of divided different readers in terms of people who were and it's not us versus her or him versus her kind of thing it's about the collective story absolutely but I think what's really interesting is we do hear from her a little bit later on where as you said your bias towards her has already developed you've like yep I made the decision she's left and deserted him but then we hear the story and we hear that she's actually made a life for herself over there she's married she's she's found happiness but also she makes it very clear in her version of the story that she's not lost that love for her son no but also just how it happens I don't yeah. want to give too much away exactly yeah. but um of how it happens yeah. you know it's just absolutely extraordinary yeah. and that sort of level of conviction of an individual it's just phenomenal and yeah. as somebody that has been through a lot in their lives like it's really important to me that when I think about diversity and inclusivity and in books that are going to fit on the list it's like I'm not just looking at are they a person of colour? Yeah. Are they somebody that has a disability? Like, I'm actually looking at the breadth and nuance of storytelling of the individual of the character because that's, like, the thing that drives us all. Yeah, absolutely. And we are multifaceted human beings who are also completely contradictory yeah. at times. And so I liked those sort of flawed and nuanced characters yeah, that are able to give us, like, a real sense of questioning around who we are and what we're doing mm. and it's sort of the closest that I'll probably ever come to like a self-help book in a way that you have these characters and you're like okay I'm not alone in the world I can do this yeah and you know I think that the imagination of writers is I, I think is boundless mm. but I also think what I love is the fact that writers sort of draw upon things that are real yeah and to me there isn't really a book that I published that I thought that couldn't have happened yeah. there aren't people that exist in this world where that hasn't happened to them or some asset or facet of that yeah. hasn't happened to them I mean I'd say probably the only writer that I have that I think that about is the incredible Arinasa Nakoji and her collection of short stories Nudie Branch that's out at the end of the year I mean that woman is probably the most imaginative writer I've ever come across oh, I can't her wait. stories are so wildly imaginative they are textured and layered and you have no idea where they're gonna go next but she also does it in a way that is so succinct yeah and just paced and clever and you're just like you know I don't know anyone else that can write like that so I'd say she's the only she's the only writer that I have where I'm like oh that wouldn't happen yeah Yeah. (laughs) because it's wild yeah it wouldn't happen because there's you know there's a kind of sci-fi sort of fantasy element to it within a very literary structure Mm -hmm. and also it's just not possible for people like turn into licorice (laughs) you know it's just not possible for the things that she imagined to happen yeah then there's also this other bit of like it is possible for people to feel outside of themselves Mm. you know it is possible for you to wake up and to feel as though your limbs are not quite belonging to your body and maybe that is how people feel so actually you know I mean she's just amazing and she's just as you can hear she just makes me think so I love her I can't wait for her work that's very um, exciting at the end of the year and I think that's a really interesting point in terms of going into discovering and loving new voices in fiction and non-fiction and that's what I think is really wonderful about dialogue and it's so important to have this imprint be one of the driving forces of you know much needed spotlight on these new voices and it is interesting to me because these voices have been there before yeah and they'll be there after us yeah why do you think that 
there is such an appetite right now for these new voices. You know, people have just looked around them suddenly and gone, hold on, right, if we're going to be talking about society on a political level, Mm. we're going to be living in city, big cities like London and New York, and we are really proud of our diversity, but actually, where is it? Mm. You know, really, where is it? And I think people are kind of just waking up to the fact that what they think is the norm and what their experience of the world is, is not everybody's. And I, I don't think they have the answer as to why it's happened, or at least I don't want to reflect upon the fact that an unconscious bias or a willful ignorance has allowed it to get to the state. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, part of my job at Hachette is to lead our um, diversity and inclusivity group called Changing the Story. And I don't think that it's not racism, it is an unconscious bias that stops difference from coming in and difference is literally like color of hair and skin and you know ability to walk or who they love yeah it's like that's different and i think people were literally unconscious to the fact that they were doing it you know for me that's as dangerous as people who have hatred i think it's different it's definitely different but it's as dangerous because because both are creating a monoculture and a monoculture is not acceptable in our society and should never have been accepted and somehow it has been so as part of my day job is to try and combat that within our company within Hachette and also within the wider industry and so one way I do that is by sort of literally creating policy mm-hmm. and strategy around how we are going to include different people at the table. Because I have no problem with the fact that we think differently because we have different experiences, because there are some things I share, like I am British and middle class. And so there's lots of things that I share with my colleagues in mm-hmm. terms of culture. But then there's this totally other side that with my Jamaican side that means that I just think about things differently because I've also had a different experience that's really amazing and so I want to hear from lots and lots of different people it's about everyone Mm -hmm. and so I have no problem with anyone being them I just have a massive problem with too many of the same yeah and and I just think everybody needs to be around the table in order to sort of to really think creatively and to elasticate this idea of like what is a book who is the audience, Mm -hmm. what is good fiction, what is great literature. You know, you need lots of different ideas to kind of pull that apart. And I think, you know, the reason that now people are realising that it's becoming harder because if you've got the same people publishing the same types of books, then your readers are not going to engage. And so you need lots of different people. But how do you retroactively fit that yeah that is so true and and it shouldn't be coming from one perspective anyway because and I have to say that my bookshelves are all the more better because of the diverse voices and stories that are essentially celebrated on my bookshelf and, and all the more better for it and I think that that is what's so wonderful about reading and power that comes over you when you read a book and and even from just that first page you know you'll you know how you're going to settle into this book just by reading a few pages and then when you finish those characters if they are as inspiring and unique and exciting as you imagine them to be or even sometimes they exceed your expectations which we'll, we'll get onto in a minute but it's just so exciting when you put that book down even though you might be a little bit it's a bit bittersweet when you finish the story because you've been in, in, ingrained into yeah, it yeah, all, yeah. all the time but it's just it's so wonderful to put that down and say wow I have broadened my horizons and I have enjoyed 
different perspectives and different stories. I mean, who who wants to read the same story over and over again? Just like who wants to have a world with the same people in it? It's just so boring. Absolutely. And you know what? Some people do want that. But again, it's interesting that that's neither the sort of majority nor is it actually reflective of society. Mm. And so, you know, I think it's been a real shock to people. I think it's been really hard and it should be. I work in a creative environment. I work in a creative industry and I work in a really important creative industry. Absolutely. And so for me, it's very clear that it's such a privilege to be able to do this, that it's not just about doing it how it's always been done. It's no. about sort of the arts is supposed to be like a movable feast. It is supposed to be elastic and it is supposed to yeah. change. And, you know, it's supposed to sort of embody lots of different ideas it's it's culture and so the fact that it's been quite static and rigid those are not words that anyone who engages in culture are fans of exactly and that's why books and publishing often isn't thought about as culture because it's seen as quite a static traditional industry whereas theater or the art world dance cinema film you know television even it's like they're all seen as things that are constantly in flux and changing in Mm -hmm. lots of different ways and it's quite exciting yeah and so I just bring that knowledge of the fact that I'm a culture practitioner to the table and yeah that makes people feel uncomfortable because they've not considered that and we can be precise in what we're making and we can be organized because to make a book you have to be really organized Mm -hmm. but it's still culture yeah and that's a bit that I always sort of tussle with and that's a bit that I'm really interested in so if there's a bit that I'm really doing differently it's the fact that I'm just like in order to be culturally relevant you've got to be reflective of society yeah and it's just that simple yeah and as I've said all the more better that you've been brought to the table on all these important decisions because these books that you're publishing are fantastic and so it should come as no surprise that you were named future book person of the year last year congratulations (laughs) how do you feel when people say they admire you and when people say that that you inspire them and that you are just an absolute queen of the industry. That's what I would say. How do you feel when people say that? You know, it's really funny because, you know, I work in like a really big um, place and there's lots of people that really, really don't care (laughs) that any of these things happen to me or they just think it's really normal. So uh, it's actually kind of really grounding because I work a lot amongst people who just sort of don't care. <laughs> and so there's this kind of like, this thing, I don't know. Do you I'm, think it's because people expect that of you? That they expect because you are so amazing at your job that you will just get these accolades? So no, I really think that some people, I think that there's a lot of people that just don't really don't care. <laughs> and then they expect it. And that's absolutely fine yeah. because I'm not doing it. No, you're not doing it for anyone. And so so sometimes it just feels a bit surreal. Mm. You know, I can come from something and then I can come back to work and I'm like, oh my God. And they're like, yeah, well, of course. (laughs) Or like I get an email being like, you've been nominated for this. And they're just like, yeah, of course you have. And also there's lots of things that I've been shortlisted for and I haven't won. Mm. And, you know, because it's not a given and and I've still got loads of work to do. And there's lots of people who have been doing this work for a long time and before me and who also deserve the accolade. So it's none of this is like a given. And I also work really tirelessly. Mm. You know, so for me, it's for my authors and for the list, it's amazing. Mm -hmm. I think 
for Hachette as a whole, it's really great. Yeah. You know, it proves that they were right in bringing me in. And, you know, my grandma's really proud. My son, who's probably my biggest critic, is like really (laughs) proud. And obviously my husband is immensely proud of me. And I think, you know, living in Bristol, there's a humility that having space allows you to have. Just sort of being outside of the bubble that Mm -hmm. is London and just sort of walking through an area like St Paul's, which is sort of the Jamaican area, mm-hmm. and like eating Jamaican food and looking at the murals, looking at all the beautiful murals or seeing like the older generation, mm-hmm. like the Windrush generation that live there and their children and people playing out on the stoops. And, you know, yeah. it just is like, I don't know, it's just incredible going to, to Eastern and, you know, partaking in like a Muslim celebration like Eid and Mm -hmm. sitting outside and breaking the fast with people it's like there's this kind of groundedness that keeps it really humble and keeps it really real I want to talk about Remembered by Yvonne Battlefelton and it was as you said long listed for the Women's Prize and I'm going to say it I think it is my favorite book of 2019 and it's only March and I just would really love for you to tell all the listeners why this story needs to be on every bookshelf I think the thing is with Remembered and what I love about it so much is the fact that, you know, these reverberations of any family history, anything that happens within the culture and history of your individual families does have these sort of reverberations that make a huge impact on who you are today. Absolutely. And so from that end it's a universal story but the story that we're hearing about is between spring and tempe and their experience of being captured enslaved and having to live in these like really awful hard circumstances over a long period of time and to go from being free to being enslaved is just mind-boggling and you know again talking about stories that sort of transcend time then right now we have more slaves in our society than we have had in the history of the world and so there's lots of people who are living normal lives who are being captured and enslaved and being used for all sorts of types of work across the world and it's utterly horrific that we question what we would do in the during the slave trade but it's happening right in front of us now and this book kind of reminds me of how a family history can sort of just shift and change so suddenly mm-hmm. and how even in the next generation as you try to do better for yourself and try to do better for your son in this story then Spring's son is in hospital and he is been in a crash and it's not clear if he was trying to start a riot or if it was an accident mm-hmm. or what he was doing in a cart. And then you realise in 1910 in Philadelphia, what do you mean a black man wasn't allowed to drive? Yeah. And then you remember in 1970s America, black people were not allowed in the same swimming pool as white people. And you start remembering that we weren't allowed to sit on the same bus and that's why we have Rosa Parks. Mm -hmm. So what's really important about the story is that in telling this sort of very potent, incredibly written, multi-layered, multi-timelined family story Mm -hmm. of the relationship of 
two sisters and the next generation and the generation before. You're really understanding what it means to be subjected to being isolated, to abject racism, to being treated as a second class citizen. And the title, Remembered, reminds you... (laughs) that we can't forget any of these things. No, yeah, and so that's why so many of these things that have happened throughout our history kind of really come to the fore. Yeah, in they this, reverberate. Yeah, they massively reverberate. Yeah. And it's like, if you read Remembered and then you watch Lemonade again, it's like Lemonade sort of makes sense. Yeah. If you don't know that African-American history then it's like read this book and watch Beyonce and then you're Mm -hmm. like okay that's the visual to this written narrative and they kind of go really hand in hand for me and there's so many kind of flashbacks of like you know that police brutality Mm -hmm. and that like not believing the black man is something that is happening today so there's nothing that happens in the book that you don't think well this all happens today yeah and so it's incredibly powerful it's incredibly poignant and I just think she's just such a talented writer. Oh, I don't think I can say it any better than that. As I told you before we started, it had a profound effect on me. It is written from a, a place of incredible natural talent, and that shines through throughout the entire book. And as you said, going back in time to 1910 Philadelphia and the power that comes behind the the storytelling and also the different perspectives and also going back in time and learning what these sisters were up against and the, the nuances and the irony and the different themes. It's just a collection of beauty and a collection of truth. And that, for me, will always stand out as being excellent fiction. Absolutely, 100%. As I said, when I think about you know culture doesn't exist in isolation and so I also think of Denzel Washington and Viola Davis um, fences fences you know it's like essentially fences is sort of the generation on yes and everything that happens in fences when you've read remembered you can kind of see how they got to that position yeah how that anger and the couple just sort of the fight in them and you see the Denzel Washington character he is trying to get a job he wants to get a job driving Mm. and he's not allowed to Mm. he's fighting for it or the play that I saw that a friend of mine Chino wrote recently and that was on at Bristol Old Vic about the Bristol bus boycott and you know it's called The Princess and the Hustler this Mm -hmm. play and it's so great and it's about what happened when a black man wanted to drive the buses in Bristol mm-hmm. and how that had to change the entire, you know, and this is like 1960s, 1970s Britain yeah. and just not being allowed, not being entrusted. It's just phenomenal. Mm. It's just continuous. And what Yvonne is so obviously, but so carefully and so beautifully saying is we absolutely cannot forget our past because we have to understand how we got to the place in which we are now. And in order for Spring to kind of let go of what could happen to Edward, then she has to, Tempe has to embody, has to come and tell her and remind her of all these things that she had hidden away. And she has to face it. I'm really proud of publishing that book. I'm really proud of her. I just think she's a astounding writer. Yeah, I agree. The thing is, obviously I would say that about all of my books, but I mean it because I've chosen them. So for it to be finding its readers and to be selling copies and for it to be on the Women's Prize and for other people like yourself who are really voracious and careful readers to be loving it, it just... 
it means so much. Yeah, and what I think is wonderful about Remembered and about the Leavers is that these books are there for future generations Absolutely. to pick up and, and they will love them as much as, as I love them and everyone else has. I want to go back to the landscape of publishing and as we've talked th- throughout this episode, it is evolving and thank goodness for that. And I feel so very blessed to be connected to you and to dialogue as a reader and other imprints around the world that are really showcasing these stories from these communities as we touched on and they are reaching generations like they never did before. I'm just I'm so grateful that in my lifetime that this is happening. And I would really love to know how you think collectively as readers and publishers how we can ensure that this continues and how these stories can be celebrated and shared even more. One thing that Nika Shukler has been saying in with the Good Immigrant USA that we published on the 7th of March is that best way to support all of our endeavours is to buy the books. It's literally that simple. By buying books, you're saying it's important, it counts. And I cannot tell you enough what that means. And this is not a new thing that I've just discovered from being a publisher. There was a reason that I owned a new English language bookshop and had the first new English language bookshop in Germany, Berlin, is because I knew that I couldn't sell secondhand books. You know, when readers are like, I really love secondhand bookshops. It's like the romance of it. And I'm always like, yeah, but none of that money goes back to the, not a penny of that money goes back to the writer. It doesn't help the writer in any way. When you buy a new book from a bookshop and they're scanning it in, that money literally can go back to the writer and also shows the publishing house that there's confidence. When someone's already bought that book and you give it away, and then you give it to a second-hand bookshop, it ends up in a second-hand bookshop, and that goes to the retailer, that goes to the proprietor of the second-hand bookshop. It's not bad work that they're doing, it's great work that they're selling those books, and I especially love charity bookshops, I think that's really important. But I've like, let's not get it twisted, by buying a book in Mm real-time value, which is the RRP price, it means that you're valuing the work of that writer. And you're saying, I believe that that writer should have a career. And anything else is not saying that. And I believe in that writer. Absolutely. And so every week we look at the sales numbers and so we can see what's bought. When it's bought in a second-hand bookshop, it's it's already been sold. Buying from a high street retailer is like an entirely different thing to buying from a high street bookshop. It's so important that we're buying from high street bookshops, we're buying online and we're buying from independent bookshops. It's the only way we can understand whether or not what we're doing works. Yeah, and for readers to truly understand the part they play in that. Oh my God, readers are so important. Like yeah. It's almost like I can literally see every single one of them. I can see every single book that is sold. I have got kind of quite a romantic kind of view of the world where I'm just like wow that's like 500 people that are reading this book and I wonder what every single one of them think of it I'm really lucky that I get to speak to you as a reader and hear what you think and it touches me so deeply to hear your reading of our publications and I also wish I could hear from the other 1,000 or 2,000 readers and just kind of get a sense I mean that's why Amazon's really great to have those numbers to have those numbers and, and for people to be leaving reviews and so yeah I'm like buy it 
if you love it share it if you love it even more put a review on amazon you know really take that five minutes out of your day to champion something where someone has given you like a few hours of your life that means something which probably took them a few years of their lives well and exactly and i mean as we've said one word has stood out throughout this entire episode which is how much of a gift this is and for anyone who loves reading as much as i do and you know i spend thousands of pounds on books every year and I'm not ashamed to say that and all of my friends who just don't get it are just like but that is so much money and I'm like but you don't understand to me it is priceless because I have been given a gift of this story that I can then share with someone or in my case and I'm sure most authors that I've reached out to I know it's I'm a drop in the ocean in terms of when I reach out to authors and tell them how much I love their book either on social media or if I email them or if I meet them at an event because I go to a lot of live book events and I know me telling them that I love their book you know I'm just one of the the thousands or in some case millions of people who've said that but for me it is it is such a joy to either be across the room or you know across the table from an author or even just on social media when you know it's not face to face but being able to tell somebody your book touched me or your book had a profound effect on me is is just as much a gift as reading the story as it is yeah yeah. i mean it's so important i mean you know the joy is is that for writers is that they spend a lot it's very solitary you you can't be writing um, with lots of people or distractions around you need to have that space and so to sort of come out with something that's in your head Mm. and then for other people I mean not just us as publishers you know it's one thing that you get an agent it's another thing that you get a publisher and all the way through we're like it's great it's great it's great yeah but it's the readers that make that real difference and that's like yeah it's hugely hugely exciting so yeah I look every week at how many people are buying our books and I'm like I love every single one of you. I'm so pleased. And I also would love to know what you think. Yes, absolutely. So as we're coming to the end, I have to ask. So as I've said, you're an essential figure in the publishing industry. I've had the privilege of knowing you for a handful of years. And I've always wondered, will Charmaine Lovegrove write a book one day? And if she does, (laughs) what will it be about? I have to know. Oh my God. No, 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 no. Look, next month I've got Signet by Susan Butler coming out. It's almost like, again, a follow-on from remembered sort of generations in the future where you have this young woman, the kid, who is on this island. It's a multi-generational coming-of-age story. So you have these septuagenarians who are on the islands. They don't want anybody under the age of 60 living there. Mm -hmm. And she's there and she's trying to work out who she is. And I always describe it as how can you thrive and survive in a environment that's hostile to your very existence it's such a great book and season is a really really talented writer and it's like to read these authors Mm -hmm. and just go wow that's such an imagination and like where did you get that from and that's a really interesting take on the world and it's got environmentalism and it's got sexuality and that kind of coming of age like trying to work out who you are but also the old people who are trying to grow old gracefully and yeah. disgracefully it's got so many different things and like such a different touch points different touch points and quite a slight novel yeah. it's excellent Sounds it's excellent great. i'm just really happy to be on this side yeah. where i can champion that yeah. i can keep my distance mm-hmm and go, this is really, really, really great. What is it that I can bring creatively to this? And how can I think about this book and its cover and, you know, the publicity and the marketing? And it's like, what can I do to properly engage an audience and readers? Because ultimately, I just think I'm the biggest 
reader. So that was a really roundabout way of saying no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm quite happy with my place in the world as a publisher. You'll continue to be the enabler. Yeah, it's like I'm just the biggest reader. Like, I love reading. I'm not really that solitary. But what I do love is, like, you know, working on Blacklisted by Jeffrey Biaki. Like, I have loved editing it with him. Mm -hmm. I love kind of helping, like, getting and shaping it. And all the books that I've worked on editorially, you know, I've really enjoyed kind of really getting under the skin, like, with Alex Allison and the art of the body it's like it was just such an enjoyable experience Mm. and you know the private joys of Nana Maloney which is coming at the end of the year it's just such a joy to kind of go in and go I can see this vista that you're presenting me with and I get so much joy from that but I don't think I'd get that joy from writing a book from writing a book that's fair enough we will we can't all do everything no that's fair and we'll just be grateful that you're the table doing what you do best I know we're running a bit out of time so I just wanted to ask quickly for the kind of premise of this podcast which is to imagine that if you did have a book right. it would be placed on a shelf <laughs> so rather than thinking about this hypothetical book I would love to just know what books and authors you would want on your frozen in time bookshelf that have inspired you and authors that you just absolutely love so i was thinking about this the other day because i was peeling an onion um as one does does, i was making dinner and i was like you know i can't remember the last time i peeled an onion and didn't think about jared diamond for example um and his work and you know guns germs and steel and you know it's just like there's an opening chapter where he talks about like the world is like an onion and you know these layers and layers and layers Mm. and what they mean and and I was just like I don't think I literally don't think I've peeled an onion for over 15 maybe even 20 years without this coming back to me so you know all of these books touch me in so many different quite profound ways Mm. and they stay with me for a really really long time so I'd say Every single book that I have published or have acquired for dialogue is absolutely going to be on my frozen bookshelf. Yeah. And then those everything by Toni Morrison and Dr. Maya Angelou, everything by Nella Larson, my rewriting the canon book club, which I do with Girl Dem at Liberty. All of those books would be on there. You know, Chinua Chebi. There's just so many. I mean, it's like, it's just such a joy like I'm really smiling just yeah. thinking about that desert island mm. and be me and my husband and son on a boat and nobody be, will be able to bring anything because wonderful. I've got my books <laughs> wonderful thank you so so much for being here it has been an incredible privilege to chat with you today um, just you really quickly me. um if people want to get in touch with you to tell you how much they love the books that you're putting out there how would they get in touch with you twitter at shah lovegrove or at dialogue books and shah is with an s fantastic and just a last shout out that everyone should read and love and buy the levers by lisa co remembered by yvonne Battlefelton, and everything else that dialogue produces so thank you so much thank you very much thanks for listening to this episode of shelf life I'd love for you to tell me what you thought of it, either on Twitter or Instagram, or by leaving a review on iTunes. Until next time, happy reading!